Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette, discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free, <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Greetings listeners, welcome to the spooky season, you're listening to Movie Oubliette, the hemisphere-hugging podcast with me, Dan, discovering (laughs) Banana Blossom in Melbourne, Australia. Ooh, and me, Conrad, (laughs) constantly sweating over a hot editing suite in Cambridge, UK. (laughs) In this podcast, we peruse over genre films, horror, sci-fi and fantasy, because it's not love unless murder and resurrection is involved. (laughs) <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Hello, Conrad. Hello, Dan. <laughs> How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm all I seem to do at the moment is edit and occasionally eat and sleep. But uh it's all for a good cause. Yes, yes. <laughs> Upcoming video essay uh coming out for Halloween yes. in particular. It's that time of the year. It's spooky season. It is, yeah. And we have a very special treat, a co-production with Melinda from Retro Blasting. And uh, by now, you probably will have seen it. But if you haven't, head on over to our YouTube channel and check it out and check out Retro Blasting while you're there. Yeah. Should we mention what the video is going to be about? We should, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's about Halloween sequels. So Uh, it's us doing the same sort of thing we did with Highlander 2, which is look at sequels and see which ones work and which ones don't work and try to figure out why. But we did it to the entire Halloween (laughs) franchise, which was insane. Yeah. But uh, we did it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, luckily we have three people to sort of juggle Mm. that many movies. How many movies was it in total? There are 13 movies in the franchise. So we looked at 12 sequels Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, poor Melinda, I think she drew the short straw. She had to watch the Rob Zombie ones, (laughs) which she didn't thank us for. Well, I'm not a big (laughs) fan of those ones, but yeah. I don't think anybody is, but you never know. <laughs> I, I mean, I would have to say I was surprised how much I liked the Paul Rudd one, even though it's it's ridiculous <laughs> and, and just like so far removed from the original premise. But I don't know. It was fun for me. It was. Yeah. Especially watching two different versions of it in quick succession. But, yeah. Yeah. So meanwhile, you're investigating Banana... Banana, Banana Blossom. Blossom. So it's just another vegan meat alternative. It's similar to um, like Young Jackfruit is one that people use oh. a lot. has a similar texture to like chicken or, or pulled pork. Um, Banana Blossom is another mm. one. Um, but yeah, just, you know, experimenting, that sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Oh. There's another one that I have yet to try. It's called Heart of Palm. And apparently it's got a similar texture to lobster. Um, but I haven't tried oh. that yet. So, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Any pumpkin spice? No? 
Pumpkin spice doesn't really exist in Australia. It's not. It's not it doesn't a thing. exist in the UK. Either. Yeah, it's not. Really it seems a to thing. exist in everything in America from around August until Christmas, but it's yeah. not here at all. I mean, it, it goes hand in hand with the whole spooky Halloween season and pumpkins and pumpkin carving. So that makes sense. But yeah, pumpkin in Australia and and also in New Zealand is is a very savoury food. Normally, we don't have mm. pumpkin pie over here it's not a sweet thing no not here either yeah it's normally associated with either pumpkin soup or uh like roast pumpkin with like a sunday roast or something like that um oh right okay but yeah um, no only the soup here that's the only thing that i've ever seen yeah right right yeah yeah Yeah. there you go pumpkins (laughs) (laughs) so conrad anything in the mailbag today Well, we're still hearing from people on Lair of the White Worm, uh, (laughs) on which Phil said, please, please tell Lars how much we all loved him on the latest episode, The Lair of the White Worm. Just a fantastic episode all round. Love the Patreon bonus content, which certainly makes for a mega-sode. Please, everyone, check them out. (laughs) really nice of phil yeah yeah that was a that was a huge uh extended moobly awards i think it went on for like 41 minutes or something um yeah we talked about many things we did yeah so if you want extra lars giggling then head on over to patreon because that's where those goodies are yeah yeah i think we mentioned the hoff at one point um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. You can't speak to a German without asking them to justify their love of the Hof. Uh, yes. We also got a lovely letter from Robert, who said, Hello, gentlemen. I wanted to drop you a line and say thank you. I found you a few weeks ago because I'm a big fan of Surge and thought ah. I'd give your podcast a try. I'm not really a podcast person, but wow, I was not disappointed. I literally turn on an episode of yours now every time I have a down moment. I sing your theme tune around my house, (laughs) much to the annoyance of my children. And I've even convinced my son to watch your next movie with me so that we can listen to the next episode together. You do a lot of good in the world. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. Truly honoured. That's, 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 uh, yeah. Very flattering. It is. It's lovely. Thank you, Rob, for getting in touch and and letting us know that because yeah, you know, you're beavering away at a uh, over a hot, sweaty editing desk, and and you sometimes wonder to yourself, is anyone listening? And then you find out <laughs> that you're you're having that impact on someone's yeah. life. It's, it feels really good. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Did we get any comments about our last episode? Well, yes, we heard a lot about uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, which we covered with Michael French uh-huh. from Retroblasting in the last episode. Uh, we heard from Steve, who said, I've discovered so many fantastic slash terrible movies because of your ace pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they are fascinating, even if they are bad. So, yeah. <laughs> Regardless, yep. so have we, Steve. It's been it's been really fun so far. So yeah, glad you're along for the ride. Mm. We also heard from Eddie, who said, "When I first saw this at a drive-in back in the '80s, it was part of a double feature with the Magnificent Seven. Very appropriate. Ooh. Wow. I mean, it's a very a big change of pace, one to the yeah. other. <laughs> yeah." 
I mean, if they'd made it a triple bill with Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai oh, as well, wow. that would have been something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, a bit of a genre whiplash. <laughs> and finally, we heard from Serge of Cold Crash Pictures. Oh, hello, Serge. Hello, Serge. And he said, going to be real cheeky and say Battle Beyond the Stars is only the second most derivative Star Wars knockoff ever made. Uh-huh. The first is Force Awakens. Yes. Yep. And sure, it's a shameless retread of some much better films, but I don't think it's terrible. People tried to make this good. What I'm saying is, it'd be three against one if I were one of the guests on this week's episode of Movie Oubliette. So there you go. Ah, There are people out there that like this film. There were, so there you go. (laughs) So... Let us know who's hashtag Team Surge. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I guess we ought to find a film to talk about this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one moment. All right. Oh. Oh, I'm outside today. Oh. I guess I have to dig a hole for the movie. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> this is hard work. <laughs> Is that toads I can hear? I know, oh, something like that. A bunch of amphibians, I think. And some, some <laughs> sort of death beetle. All right, here it is. Coming back. Oh, he's squatting in her like a toad. All right. Oh, God. Had to work for it this time. I know, I know. The thing we do. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you come back with? Well, today we will be discussing the 1998 uh, sort of horror drama rom-com uh film (laughs) (laughs) practical magic wow i have never seen this before who is in it well i mean it's it's directed by griffin dunn uh and it stars sandra bullock nicole kidman stockhead channing diane weist is it weist or west I never know. I always say Weist. Yeah, I say Weist. Uh, Goran Viznik uh, and (laughs) Aidan Quinn and a very young even Rachel Wood. Oh, wow. And what's it about? Well, it's the 90s. Witches are all the rage. We follow the Owens (laughs) family, two sisters, Sally and Gillian, and their sardonic aunts as they navigate modern life, love and heartbreak. Mm -hmm. There are boys, marriage and tragedy, but most of all, there is magic. Real magic. Mm. Oh, and murder, (laughs) resurrection and an exorcism. Uh, will the sisters bond overcome evil accompanied by the original motion picture soundtrack available at your local music store now for only twenty four ninety five? <laughs> Let's find out in this bewitching nineties rom com, Practical Magic. Ooh, spellbinding! I cannot wait. <laughs> yes, and we will be joined by a guest today. Thank goodness! Can't wait. After the break, yes. We are very excited to welcome back today an actor, producer, writer, film photographer and daily diarist, the wonderful Lotte Lostern. Hello. 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 
<laughs> great to be back. It's great to have you back. How have you been? Uh, good. Yeah. Well, it's been a pandemic since I saw you last, right? Yes. When was yeah. it? Was it early pandemic days? It was, yes. I think it was early pandemic mm. days. And I think yeah. you were saying that you were getting used to a new normal that mm. wasn't a nice normal. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now it's a new normal that still doesn't feel like a, a great normal, but at least it feels maybe a little bit more hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> You've been to a big event recently, at least. You went to Comic-Con, I believe. Oh, yeah. How was that? It was strange to be among so many people again. Mm. We had masks on and everybody had to test in the morning, but it still felt like a bit scary. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> and we did not get COVID and we were like, we were sure. Like, if we don't get it at Comic-Con... I mean, where would we get it? We yeah. have never had it. We've dodged it all the way through. And David couldn't wear a mask when he was doing all the um, interviews and such, of course. Uh, so I was like, well, I'm wearing a mask, but if he gets it, it's just I'm just delaying myself getting it, more or less. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of wild. But then it was really lovely to be there again because it did feel like some kind of normalcy that I didn't think I would have missed, but it was nice to see that that was... Mm. a thing again it wasn't as much people there as last time which was nice as well so you could like walk around and not feel like you're bumping into people uh all the time <laughs> yeah. um but yeah it was fun it's a wild wild ride when you're there promoting a movie and i just like followed along and <laughs> uh, and, and watched it yeah yeah no, I was wondering what your experience of it was, because David, the lovely David F. Sandberg, did a fantastic vlog about it. And as a person who shares those traits of being an introverted extrovert, I recognized his exhaustion yeah. with that much being on stage. And it seemed without a break, really, yeah. the whole time. How was it for you? I think when I'm there, I'm there very much as with David. Mm -hmm. So it's not really about me, which is nice, but I am very attuned to David during that time. Like I, I see very clearly the moment when he's like, oh no, now he's so tired. Uh, <laughs> and it's still like four hours left of this day or whatever. Sure. Uh, yeah. But then there's also like really fun moments during the day, like with the cast and crew. And yeah, it is, it's just like a whirlwind. Like it's such a whirlwind. So even, I, yeah, both of us are so tired in the end, but clearly David is more more tired than I am. I am. I can get some kind of energy from it as well. Yeah. Mm. Well, people seem to be very excited about the movie. Yeah. I certainly know that I'm looking forward to it because uh, Shazam was one of my favorite superhero movies for quite some time. Yeah. Because it had a big heart. Yeah, this one does too. Uh, it's great. I've seen it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, the, the question that we asked last time, because you didn't know at the time, was whether you might be in it somewhere. Mm -hmm. I am in it oh. somewhere. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a new character. <laughs> <laughs> different hairstyle, uh, no glasses, <laughs> different wardrobe, completely new worked for Superman. It works for me. Ah, well, that sounds great. <laughs> and you don't get disintegrated this time? Well, we'll see. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> well, we'll look out for you. Mm, yes. <laughs> well, speaking of delicate balances of different tones, including magical and fantastical ones and drama, you've <laughs> picked a fascinating film for us to talk about today. <laughs> one that I had 
never seen. Dan, you remember it quite fondly from the 90s, yeah, I think. Yeah, it was always on TV. Right? right. A lot, yeah. Yeah. It, was, it seemed to be always on TV. But, I mean, witches were all the rage in the 90s as well, yeah. with, like, Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Charmed, and there were witches in Buffy as well, so this mm-hmm. slots in quite nicely. It does. Lotta, I guess the first question is, why did you pick this movie? What's your history with it? Well, it's kind of funny because this is a movie that, to me, has gotten better. Ah. (laughs) I remember watching it probably around the time when it came out, not uh, in the cinema. So it must have been like when it was on TV or Mm. uh, maybe I rented it. I can't remember. But I remember the scene... Uh, with Harry Nilsson's coconut playing when they're dancing around the kitchen so fondly. I loved it so yeah, much. Me too. And then I remember thinking it just like went on and on <laughs> and they were never able to kill the guy and like all, like all of that felt like repeating itself. And then I watched it again. I think it was 2019 or 2020. Mm-hmm. And I was waiting for that moment when I was going to be starting to feel bored and start to feel like, oh, it's just like going on. And I was like, did that did not happen this time or that time. I was like, mm. I actually thought it held up quite well. Uh, I mean, it's stupid, but it's also <laughs> lovely. <laughs> and I mean, it's Halloween, so it's you should we should have something that is spooky, right? Oh, and yeah. I think practical magic is uh, great. Mm. I always loved witches. It's something with about that kind of the female empowerment that that brings where women have the power, I think that is such an enjoyable thing to watch. And I've always really loved that Mm. because there's nobody can mess with you if you're a witch, right? Yeah. 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 (laughs) It it does delve into the themes of, yeah, like what you you said with witches and and female empowerment. I I do feel like the 90s did redefine the witch genre as being Mm -hmm. more about female empowerment, whereas previously... Witches were old hags. Yeah, they were ugly. You know, casting spells and cackling, and yeah. it was a different image of witches. Whereas in the nineties, it was teenage witches, and and it was all about like sister bonds and women being able to do things by themselves, um, helping each other out, but not mm-hmm. needing a man to save the day or make things better. And I do feel like this movie really encapsulates that. The the man doesn't save the day in this movie. It's all the women Mm -hmm. that get together and it does hold up. I do agree. It really does hold up. Yeah. Mm. The interesting thing I found about it was if you try to apply the old Bechdel test to it, which is, is there a scene in which there are two women talking to each other and they are not talking about men? Mm -hmm. The film does hinge pretty much on the two sisters and their relationship with love and romance. Yes. And this curse that hangs over them ever since one of their ancestors was heartbroken and swore off men forever and unfortunately swore off men for all of the people that came in the family afterwards. It feels like for a film in which I think you could do the reverse Begdale test, I don't think there is a scene in which two men have a conversation much less two men have a conversation about something that isn't women. Yeah. And yet it still fails the Bechdel test because I don't think the women ever talk about anything else other than love and men. I think you're <laughs> which right. Which is curious. Yeah. There are a lot of women in it, though, which yes. is kind of mm. wonderful to see. Um, yeah. Because I don't know if it was marketed as a, a movie only for women, but it feels like it's just a big movie that happens to have mostly women in it and a couple of poor men. Yeah, I do notice movies that are written, especially rom-coms, are written by men, focus on 
the men a lot and the women are kind of like two-dimensional. Yeah. But movies written by women, it's the other way around. So the men are quite two-dimensional in this movie. They kind of whittle down to core values. You've got your asshole boyfriend <laughs> yeah. that's just alcoholic and abusive. And then you've got the detective who was just... The nicest man alive, yeah. apparently. <laughs> well, it's Aiden Quinn, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And then the first guy as well, who's just like a lovely husband. That's all he is. We don't know yeah. him at all. No. He's just a lovely husband. And then he dies. You don't even know his name until after he's dead. Yeah. Right? What even was his name? I don't was remember. Just dad. <laughs> I love rom-coms. Same. Growing up in the 90s, I watched a lot of action movies and a lot of rom-coms because I've got like a little sister. Yeah. So I watched a lot of rom-coms. And this movie, it's mainly a rom-com. Yeah. With which elements. Yeah. Like I, I recall it having more magic, but watching it now, it really doesn't have a lot of magic. And it's always kind of very subtle magic. Like you don't, yeah. I mean, you see the coffee cup stirring by itself, but... <laughs> You don't see a lot of other things. No, there's like hinting to it. Like when their yeah. aunties are like giving the children muffins and they're like, oh, we're just doing toast. And then perfectly you see like two toast pop up of the toaster. Uh, and it's clear that they just did that by magic. Uh, yeah, and like that's how yeah. they use their magic in their everyday life. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Making toast appear. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but it does veer into dark territory. I read an interview with Akiva Goldsman, who is one of the credited screenwriters. It's based on a book by Alice Hoffman, who has since written two prequels and a sequel. So it obviously turned into a bit of a franchise for her. But Akiva Goldsman said that Griffin Dunn, who's the director, his original cut was much more 50-50, that it was darker, mm. that it had more of Nicole's possession. And mm -hmm. when it came to the exorcism at the end, it was incredibly intense and the women were screaming. And I think you see hints of it still there. Yes, for sure. Yeah. In the overhead mm. shot, for example, briefly, you see how intense that sequence mm -hmm. got. But it's all been pared back because it was too much for the tone of the movie. And I mean, having worked on movies that have balanced lots of potentially conflicting elements yourself, I mean, it's difficult to do that and within the Hollywood studio system where they're keen to hit the biggest audience they can. Yeah, I guess I can understand that if they wanted it to be a movie that is more of a rom-com that most people can go and see, I can understand that. Uh, we haven't really had that. Dave, like for Shazam, the first Shazam, David even had the studio tell him to make it like go go wild with the scares, like if you want to. So he oh really yeah. Then it was just a matter of uh, doing it in a way so it didn't like trip the PG <laughs> PG thirteen <laughs> label. Wow. But they kind of encouraged him, which is great. Um, and yeah. I think the first Shazam was so much a tribute to those kind of eighties nineties movies where you got the whole package, like where it was scary and fun and for the whole family. Um, that was such a huge inspiration for that one, I think, yeah. or I know. Mm. So I think maybe that's why the studio encouraged that as well. Maybe they weren't as clear with practical magic, what people they would market it for maybe. Yeah. yeah it's a tough balance because this movie is, yeah, rom-com. So you would want people that like romantic 
movies to go watch it, but you don't want it too scary. Yeah. Because then they would be put off by it. Because there are, there are some scary scenes still in this movie that I remember as a child. Yes. Being pretty freaked out by, like, uh, the boyfriend coming back as that ghost and, like, that bit where he shoves his hand in Aiden Quinn's heart and it's pretty terrifying. Yeah, I remember being very scared. So I was surprised when I saw it again that it's, like, it's actually not that scary. I mean... I mean, I think... Yeah. I think Nicole Kidman really sells that exorcism kind of thing at the end. She's really great there. Mm. Yeah, I think she really made it feel very terrifying and high stakes there. I I think what makes this movie um, hold up really well is the connection between the two sisters. Like, um, so... um, Sandra Bullock and, and Nicole Kidman, who we've actually covered on the podcast before, Sandra Bullock in The Vanishing and Nicole Kidman in Dead Calm, and their sort of connection and their how sort of different they are. Like, it's quite relatable for people growing up in the 90s. They have sisters. Yeah. My sister really resonated with this movie, and my wife resonated with this movie. We watched it again, and she was smiling the entire time we were watching it because of how much she loved that movie. Mm-hmm. There are sort of similarities between Shazam and, and this movie in terms of like the importance of family yeah like they have each other even though they're not accepted in the town where they live and i think the aunts have like accepted it so they like i love how they just like (laughs) when they're walking through the town center and everybody's like so angry with them and hates them so much and they just have their style their hair and their hats and everything and, and just kind of looks like they're enjoying it um, while Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock's characters clearly feel very left out of it. And like, I think mm. that's something that everybody can relate to, feeling not part of a group, feeling not part of it. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting. The town accepts the Sandra Bullock character, Sally, as soon as she gets married and has children. And she clearly leaves the magic behind. Uh, yeah, mm. she becomes a normal person. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. town all loves her then, although she still doesn't make it to the top of the telephone tree. But they don't love her. <laughs> I don't think she's in the telephone tree at all before. Yeah. So I think, yeah, which is that telephone tree is so funny to me. Because <laughs> when they like introduce that idea, I'm like, this is just stupid. Like trying to tell us that her like biggest dream in life is to be on the telephone tree. Like that will <laughs> prove, prove it to her that she's part of the world. But then when it comes back at the end, it is so damn satisfying. Yeah, it is so satisfying true. when she's like, I'm starting the phone tree thing. It's so satisfying. I'm like, oh, I did not expect that. I did not expect that to come back. And I don't know why, because it's very stupid. It's very clear. Oh, yeah. Like, what do we need that should come back in the end? But to me, it worked perfectly. Yeah. 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 There are a couple of things that come back. One is the telephone tree. The other one, I think, is the blood bond that the sisters have yes. when they're younger. And, and the ring, his ring yes. uh, that he wanted to mark her with comes back. Uh, we yes. find out that he's killed a girl and marked her. Yeah. Mm. yeah. He's a serial killer, mm-hmm. the Angelov character. I think it is interesting to see Nicole Kidman in this role as an abused woman in a toxic relationship. It's a role that she would play again in Big Little Lies. The thing that I find interesting about this is the way that the film shows the resolution to that, which is not 
gathering all of the women together and getting angry, that actually seems to make the possession, which is sort of allegorical to the trauma that this toxic relationship has caused, that she still can't get rid of this guy, mm-hmm. even though he's dead. He's been killed twice <laughs> by that point. Yeah. But so, yeah, it's, it's not the women gathering together and getting sort of angry that changes it. It's actually the sister's love. Yes. Yeah, and I think it's also like because then all the women are clasping their hands. So it's like the connection between all the women in the lineage, right? That's how I see it, at least. Like, it's all the the women in their family mm, yeah. getting together and fighting it. Yeah. yeah, and it's also the town ends up embracing them at the end as they float off the roof as witches. So it's kind of a resolution on all bases. Yeah, because they saw that they weren't evil. Yeah. <laughs> and they needed their help. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tonally, I did like how the film touched on darker themes, but it often felt like a Disney movie at times, watching this movie. It's so wholesome. Yeah. Especially Sandra Bullock's relationships are so wholesome. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, they do touch on some dark material as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you described it to someone and said it's a movie in which two sisters, you know, one of them gets into a toxic relationship with a serial killer. Killer, and they murder him twice and bury him, but he comes back and possesses the sister and they have to form a coven and perform an exorcism. You'd think, wow, this, this is going to be dark. Yeah. And somehow it, they just pile on the Alan Silvestri plinky plonky death becomes her chirpy gothic happy. I mean, it opens. I mean, tonally, the film just, just lays it out there because this is the jolliest hanging I've ever seen in the opening title sequence. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very wholesome. Yeah, it is. It's sort of, you know, the sweeping strings and, you know, she's, yeah, being hung for witchcraft. I don't know. For me, I was baffled. I was not sure that the mix of tones really worked. It felt like it was reaching for a sort of Death Becomes Her vibe. Maybe. Which Alan Silvestri had worked on, you know, a few years earlier. It was going for that sort of gothic satire, but it it isn't a satire at all. Oh, no. It takes itself very seriously, but it's funny it's very funny there's like lots of quotable things from it Mm. i don't know i didn't see it as death becomes her vibe there's like harry potter visuals Mm. sometimes where when they're like lighting candles and it's just so beautiful and and in the beginning they're sitting on the table wearing white wings and white dresses and looks like claire danes in romeo and juliet and it's Uh like it wants to be beautiful and like it wants to be pretty and cozy i think like when they're Mm. sitting in the garden having their lunch or brunch or whatever it is with their aunts the first time they've moved there it's just so quirky and like fairy taley i think fairy taley is like uh where it's like can be dark but it can also be cute and lovely yeah Talking about the music, wasn't another composer on this film before Alan Silvestri? Yes. Michael Nyman composed the score. And um, when the film is struggling to find its tone in post-production and the studio is scared, one of the first things they always do is jettison the score Mm -hmm. because the score is so important in in producing that tone. And it's also one of the things that's easiest to replace, I think, rather than reshooting the the whole movie. Sure. Michael Nyman was asked what happened and he said, quote, 
What happened with Practical Magic was that I wrote the best score I think I've ever written for a film that engaged me not at all. (laughs) It's a miracle how my relationship with Griffin Dunn and his encouragement to write a particular kind of score brought out a score for me that did all the things I wanted it to do. It had lots of irony. It was very sexy. It was humorous. It had some sleazy music. It had some scary music. But when it was shown to the head honcho at Warner Brothers, the film had a lot of problems as a film. The narrative didn't make sense. And Lorenzo de Bonaventura took one look at it and said, this score has got to go. Wow. Not realising, of course, that I had six weeks to work on the score and they'd had two years to work on the film. And yet I was the whipping boy. Wow. Oh, that's harsh. Yeah. So his score was thrown out literally at the 11th hour. In fact, the first issue of the soundtrack album, which you had to have in the 90s, you have to have a soundtrack album, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. had two cues of Michael Nyman on there. And you can still buy that. It's still out there. Uh But then was swiftly replaced by a second edition that had a couple of cues from Alan Silvestri instead. Right. I mean, Michael Nyman, I mostly know from the piano and Peter Greenaway films. Mm. Sure. I can see what that would have been. It would have been very different it would have leaned much harder on the serious side of things i think yeah alan Silvestri's score i mean how long did he have to score it, it can't I have mean, been very it long been a very short amount of time it did seem very i guess on the nose quirky you've got quirky you've got pit strings mm-hmm. and quirky woodwind and stuff yeah i don't know i mean i think it worked for the comedy it was kind of verging on Tim Burton, like Danny Elfman type score at times, like very comical. But there were some cues I really liked. I liked the cue um, when they were younger and she was making that spell mm. about finding her love and he would have two different colored eyes and he would like stars and stuff. I really enjoyed that cue because it was more kind of folky. It's like guitar and fiddle. I don't know. The soundtrack for this movie is very 90s at the same time. You've got the score, but you've also got a lot of songs. Yes. A lot of hit songs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But not kind of poppy, more country. So I guess, again, leaning into the witches and folk sonic palette. There's some Stevie Nicks in there. And I know Stevie Nicks and witchcraft go quite hand in hand often. She's <laughs> been <laughs> accused of being a witch numerous times by people. And she even cameoed in an American horror story um, season, Coven, which was all about witches. She cameos in that. Yeah. So I kind of liked the score as 90s and cheesy as it was, uh, with also the soundtrack and the songs as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one song in particular... Faith Hill, this kiss, kiss while they have the <laughs> the big passionate kiss. Yeah, I mean it's very on the nose. Isn't yeah, it? Well, there was a song as well when she decided to like get up out of the bed. That was like so literal. It was like people oh, yes. rely on you. You can make it. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I, I don't remember who who it was by, but I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is on point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do feel like that was a very nineties thing as well, using sort of soundtrack songs to just tell you what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least that scene where Gillian drives all night to be with her sister because her husband's just died. She's not listening to Cindy Lauper's I Drove All Night. Wow. So But that was a beautiful scene. Yeah, it's quite touching sometimes. Like that moment when uh Nicole Kidman's character wakes up Sandra Bullock and like and Sandra just looks at her and breaks apart. Like mm. I was so happy or something she says. Yeah. It's like that sibling relationship felt very real in some parts, just because they were so different, but they still accepted each other. 
the way they were. Yeah, mm. they have great chemistry yeah. on screen. Mm. Yeah. It's odd that they've never appeared in anything since. Yeah. Maybe they were too big after that. Yeah. You, you, you can't have two big women in the same movie anymore. <laughs> no. Well, oddly enough, I remember the complicated contractual back and forth that had to happen in order to get Sher, Susan Sarandon and Michelle Pfeiffer in The Witches of Eastwick, oddly enough. Yeah. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Was apparently nightmarish. All the things about which order their names were in and who had a, how many lines. Wow. Apparently it was hell because <laughs> stars and their egos, I guess. Yeah. Right. But I mean, they do that with men all the time. They have to just figure it out. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. another one of my annoyances today, where it's like this one strong woman in the movie, then we can have 50 men. <laughs> it's fine because we have one strong woman in it. Yeah. 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 And I think that's why I love so many movies from the 80s and 90s, because they did have like lots of women in them, even though the themes weren't always great or like mm. the morale of the story wasn't perfect. It was still like lovely to just see so many women in the movie without it mm. being a, a movie for women. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Interestingly, a lot of the interview questions I notice, they were always asking the women if they got on, yeah. which I know would never happen if it was a, an all-male movie. <laughs> there just seems to be this expectation that if you get too many women in one place at once, they will instantly start tearing into each wow. other. And I don't know what that is. Wow. Yeah, that's sad. It is. I bet they had a great time. Yet they seem to. I mean, the coconut scene seems very genuine it's delightful yeah i love that scene like i love how it turns then after a while and it's like they're so mean and hurtful to each other and it starts to feel so weird and bad mm. and then you realize oh they're drinking angelov's tequila or whatever that's poisoned them yeah the women are fine until the influence of a, a very toxic man is introduced. Yeah, and they talk about him like he's a vampire, right? They say that he's talking about love, that it's centuries-old love. And mm. I also loved how Nicole Kidman says he will survive the curse because he's so powerful. And then that becomes the problem in itself, like mm. that he survives. But he becomes the villain because he is too powerful. Yeah. yeah. I, I was a little confused about what was happening like i thought oh he's gonna be reanimated he's like a zombie right so he's gonna rise up from his grave and just be a walking corpse but then he's a ghost and then he possesses nicole kidman yeah so i was confused no it's, it feels like he survived the first thing because when they try to get him back to life they are supposed to do the needle and the eyes that's right but they don't even have time for that because he wakes up before that mm. which tells me that he's just too powerful to die but like that part and then they kill him again. And maybe that's when they kill him for real. But the ghost is still there. That the ghost is still haunting. It's still so powerful. Right. Or like, right, it's right. not, a, maybe it's not a ghost. Yeah. Like it, it must be like some kind of demon more. Yeah. yeah. I'm assuming the original director's cut with the more darker elements would mm -hmm. explain it a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's likely because I just didn't understand the mechanics of what's happening and why he keeps coming back. I mean, eventually I just accepted it on an emotional level rather than a logical level. It just seemed to be like, this guy is just such a bad seed that he just keeps coming back. Mm -hmm. Even when you think Nicole's yeah. fine, yeah. all of a sudden she licks Sandra Bullock's face yeah. <laughs> and, she, and he's back again. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't fully understand the mechanics. I didn't understand why the aunts went away. Yeah. I kind of like how they were like, even when the woman in town wanted them to make the person she loved fall in love with her or like leave his wife, 
they didn't want to do that, but they do it anyways. And they know it's not great, but they do it anyways. And it's like, they are a little mischievous and a little playing by their own rules. And also when Sandra Bullock tells them not to tell the girls any nonsense, Diane Weiss is like, we would never tell them nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still like, it's because for them, it's not nonsense. It's like the real deal. And then they're like, oh, we, they put the string around the daughter's next because they were worried about them they're like it's for protection and Uh then they left them or like oh you can take care of this yeah it's like i I just accept them as being very weird and quirky (laughs) and doing things their way Mm. that's the way they've always done yeah Mm. I, i do feel like it kind of harkens back to the old version of witches and them being just a bit conniving and mm-hmm. causing problems. Oh, for sure. But I do like the the sort of three generations of witches. So you've got the older generation, you've got the two sisters, and then you've got the two daughters as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good mix of versions of witches. Yeah. There's one scene that my wife pointed out that I didn't realize when the, one of the daughters cast a spell pretty much like you're you're gonna get chicken pox yeah like the, a couple of scenes later he actually does have chicken pox yeah, yeah it works <laughs> it's great <laughs> now it's time for random trivia so dan what fascinating piece of trivia did you whip up in your cauldron today well uh looking up uh sandra bullock's uh our filmography. Uh, this is not her first sort of foray into magic or, or love potions because she was in a movie in, in 1992 called Love Potion Number no. 9, in which she plays mm-hmm. <laughs> a scientist uh, who accidentally helps invent a substance that makes her irresistible to anyone that hears her speak. So, interesting <laughs> premise. Uh, probably a very B-grade movie. I've never even heard of it. Uh, one other tiny piece of trivia. Apparently in that scene where the sisters get drunk uh, with the aunts, they are actually drunk, apparently. Yes, I think I've read that too. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Nicole yeah. Kidman yeah. brought some really bad tequila and they all just got wasted. Because <laughs> it does seem very <laughs> genuine. Like, it, it does. does. It does. <laughs> it looks real. So joyful. Until it's not joyful anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's our trivia. Yes. Do we believe the relationships? The romantic relationships? Yeah. So Aidan Quinn's character, Gary Hallett, I think it is. Yes. He yes. shows up, I noted down, 50 minutes into a 96-minute movie. That's quite late for your main romantic interest. Yeah. They instantly have a connection, although it's not fully explained why until later you realise that he is the answer to the spell that was cast when Sally was very young. Mm. They just suddenly launch themselves at each other's faces in a motel room. And I didn't quite buy it, I have to admit. It's like one of those things where it's like, it's magic. So we just, it's the same when she's like, just get up from the garden and like run to the town and kisses the man who, who then becomes yeah. her first husband. We understand that it's the aunts that have done mm. this, like oh, yeah. put the spell on it. But it's so, I feel like that's weirder to me. <laughs> like the Aiden Quinn thing, I'm waiting for it to happen. I, I'm looking out for the one green and one blue eye, yeah, which we couldn't yeah, really yeah. see until like that moment in the hotel. No. Mm, and then mm. the pancake flipping. And it's funny that like his favorite shape is a star. And then he's like, he has the star mm. because he's a police. And it's just... Okay, great. Uh, But I actually was kind of surprised by my emotions at the end when he's saying, well, I wished for you too. And Sandra Bullock just like, 
her face just like caves in mm. with hurt that she's like he's here but it's not going to work out I, I was surprised that i got tears in my eyes i was like oh yeah. it caught me <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so i yeah, think yeah. maybe it's because they have like planted the things early on like her perfect man will be all of these things mm. so when he shows up it's like oh he it's the perfect man he doesn't have to have any personality he doesn't have to have any <laughs> any like be a character of his own he's just like all the things that she's wanted yeah yeah and there he is i do believe it's because it's based on a book written by a woman so she's written the perfect love interest for a woman. I find this happens all the time in movies where it's about the man and this perfect woman. Like, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Andy McDowell's character is not a character. She is wait, just... Wait, 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 wait. Four Weddings and a Funeral is one of my absolute favorite movies, and I keep saying it's almost a perfect movie. It is perfect. <laughs> really? So, yes, it is perfect. Okay, Andy McDowell, maybe not, her character might not be super fleshed out, but yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's so great. But yes, go on, keep going. No, no, yeah. Just, no, I, mean, I do not I... want to hear any slander about forward from you. <laughs> You're on thin ice, Dan. Yes. Okay, different example, different example. Uh, Notting Hill, okay. Julia Roberts' character is not really much of a character there's not much depth to her character no. and i feel like it's because it's written from the man's perspective and mm -hmm. it's all about hugh grant in that movie yeah whereas in this movie it's all about sandra bullock and it's actually more about the sisters of course yeah. yes exactly so it's more about their connection and the male characters are very like two-dimensional but i don't think it really matters and and yeah you're right conrad them launching onto each other was a bit <laughs> abrupt, but I don't know. I feel like that's such a 90s thing. There was always a bunch of launching and, and throwing each other against walls and having very aggressive, passionate kissing. It's 90s. Yeah, but I really like your, your theory there about uh, if it's written by a woman, the men aren't as interesting character-wise, because I do feel like this movie isn't about... I mean, it is a romantic comedy, but it is more about these sisters and it is more about their relationships. So the romance is like a secondary story, even mm. though it might feel like the, the main story in it. It's not really. It is about the sisters in the end. Mm. And the relationship is more like the added little bonus, you know, like at the end of some movies when they show, oh, they did get together. Like after the credits, like, oh, and this is how it went 10 years later. Like that's how the romance <laughs> feels in this movie. It's more mm, like yeah. <laughs> a second thought. Like, yes, she's supposed to be happy uh, and she will be happy if she finds mm. her perfect man. <laughs> yeah, But the yeah. story, the arc is mostly just about the sisters, I yes, think. Yes, exactly. You're absolutely right. I did like the detail as well when, when they first talk to each other, how she says to the Jillian character that, I can't lie. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah. And she doesn't lie. So everything she says to Aiden Quinn is the truth. Yeah. But it's how she's saying it that comes across as like, oh, he won't believe her. So she, like, he asked her, did you kill this man? And she said, oh, yeah. I, A couple of times. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is tr it's true. <laughs> yeah. Did you bury him? Like, not in this house. or <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. Really clever dialogue in that scene. Yeah. And it was kind of funny to see Sandra when she's struggling in the kitchen when Sally is talking to Jilly and she's saying, I can't lie. And the police comes in and she's like struggling with it. She's really <laughs> struggling with getting words out because she knows 
I will fall into a trap any minute now. And she, like, she's just blurting stuff out. And it's kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. And Nicole's yeah. mouthing to her, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to see Sandra and Nicole in a funny role. I mean, it reminds you from when she was in Speed, for example, that the reason that she shot to superstardom was because she was so funny and charming and, and had great comic timing. Yeah. You kind of forget that because she tends to be associated with Oscar bait roles now, much more heavy hitting things right i mean she did a rom-com recently didn't yeah she? the lost city mm. not her greatest work mm. i i think she's just very relatable because she never plays the perfect character she's always a bit clumsy and you know stumbles over her words so that's really relatable and also funny yeah mm. she's wearing glasses in the beginning which is like oh she's a nerd <laughs> yeah so funny it's so funny how they do that it's the same she looks the same in the beginning of this movie, when she's an adult, uh, as she does in uh, Miss Congeniality in the beginning, mm. when they're trying to make her look like a nerd. Mm. Oh, she yes. has, like, messy yeah. hair and glasses, and, like, that's enough to <laughs> to ugly down Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's so pretty. Like, you can't hide that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, yeah, again, another 90s thing. Yeah. You've got, like, in, in movies, like, she's all that. Yep. Just shove them in, in overalls and put some glasses on them, and they're, they're ugly. Yep. Apparently. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about how this movie has aged really well, but when it came out, not great reception. No. So box office of 68.3 million on a 75 million budget. It was regarded as a failure. Uh, director Griffin Dunn, who I mostly know as a very fine and very funny actor, principally from American Werewolf in London, where he played the rotting best friend. Mm -hmm. He says he has never had an opportunity to direct a major studio movie since. Wow. That it was widely regarded as a disaster. And yet it was the number one film when it opened in October 98. It narrowly outgrossed Bride of Chucky that week, <laughs> was knocked off the top spot the following week by Pleasantville, and then shuffled down again by Vampires, The Waterboy, The Siege, and then, ironically, a re-release of The Wizard of Oz. But it, <laughs> right. it was in theatres, apparently. It was in release for 63 weeks. Okay. It's a long sort of slow That's burn. Yeah. yeah. I think it's gained a cult following pretty much in the same way that Hocus Pocus did. Yeah. Being played every Halloween, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm really surprised this movie did so badly. Yeah. And I we it has like six point something on IMDb, right? Yeah. Mm. But on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like 21 or something. Wow. Like really bad, which surprised me. Yeah, I see it in rotation now, like friends of mine and, and uh, like posts about watching it as a fun 90s movie thing. So it seems to be making a, like a cult kind of comeback. Yeah. Know? And maybe it is like, because it actually holds up weirdly. It does like talk about women being in, in relationship with bad men and how you can help each other to get out of it and how women have to rely on each other um, mm. and not rely on men, which is maybe also why the men characters aren't as fleshed out because... It isn't about how, even though like it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, it's not about the men. It is about like their relationship and them having to help each other out more yeah. Yeah. to survive the evil men, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Movie Awards. Hey, it's the Movie Awards. It's where we present our favourite potion-altering moments in the number of evil spirit vanquishing categories. Best quote. Oh, I have a few. I like 
um, Nicole Kidman says, we've been worshipping each other like bats uh, when she's talking about um, <laughs> Angela. And I was like, what is that? What does that mean? Does bat worship each other? Is that a thing that I didn't know? Yeah. That was great. I'm not sure. I wondered that. How do bats worship each other? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was like it it was a truth. Um mm. and then yeah. it's the when they're heisting Angela up onto the table and uh, Dilly says, "Watch his balls." And then Sandra says, <laughs> "You watch them." <laughs> what was like <laughs> so weird. <laughs> what was the point? Oh, I mean, that's a very sibling <laughs> retort, though, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of very, very funny dialogue in this movie. Uh, I do like it when, when Sally leaves to help Gillian and she's asking the aunts to take care of her daughters. And, then, and they say they'll take them to the solstice celebration, <laughs> uh, which Sally responds, fine, but I don't want them dancing under the full moon. And then the aunt, one of the aunts replies, of course not, dear. The nudity is entirely optional. <laughs> As you will remember. Yeah, and then they come back and they have danced nude <laughs> yeah. under the full moon. So it's like, okay. Best hair or costume? I mean, the lady who works at Sally's store with the waffle hair, um, I think, yeah. is, is wonderful. But I also just love the Diana's Dr. Channing's fantastic outfits all through it. Mm. Great yeah. costume design on that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's yeah. also very 90s as well with Nicole Kidman and a lot of like sp- like spaghetti strap tops and mm-hmm. dresses. Uh, she's got like a velvet, yeah. like a moss green velvet dress at one point. It's Velvet it's was great. very popular in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But there's one, there's one outfit I want to mention. Uh, it's the sapphire blue Asian silk inspired pajamas that Sally wears when she's younger. Uh, a lot of sort of Asian influence on on clothes in the 90s was like a no doubt as well and and also in the movie hackers there's a there's a scene at the end where angelina jolie also wears a silk number but of course now straight up cultural appropriation that would never happen but in the (laughs) 90s it's very popular yeah that's very true for me, I I do love the witch costumes that they wear at the oh, end yes. of the movie, especially the very wide-brimmed hats with dark blue sequins as a trim on them, which catches the moonlight occasionally, ah, yes. which I thought was was beautiful. And their red and white striped Wicked Witch of the West socks yeah. that they uh-huh. they have on, yeah. I thought that was a lovely touch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most nineties moment. This is like was almost in my favorite quote part. It's when they have done the whole telephone chain thing and the neighbors show up and one woman is saying, is this okay? And she's holding up a mini handheld vacuum cleaner oh, yes. instead <laughs> of, because she doesn't have a broom. And I was like, oh, that's so, so 90s. Like, at least in Sweden, like it was a, all of a sudden everybody had those handheld vacuum cleaners for tables and like, mm. they were only good for tables, really. Uh, and then yeah. a few years went by, and now nobody has them. Yeah, 
It was yeah, such, no. so stupid. And I was waiting when they were standing in the in the circle with the booms. I was waiting for it for to her. be like the <laughs> last <laughs> person to be the vacuum, but it wasn't. She had yeah, she had, had to have the broom. Got to borrow yeah. a broom. <laughs> yeah, um, witchcraft hasn't modernized that much. No. Um, yeah, that 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 vacuum in New Zealand. It's called a dust buster. So everyone had a oh, dust yeah, yeah. buster in in New Zealand. Um, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, they were they were useless for anything else because the suction power yeah. was just like non-existent, and the battery life yeah. was like non-existent. Always had to put it on the charger. Yeah, yeah, no one has them now. Mm-hmm. No, no. <laughs> Favorite scene. Mine is Midnight Margaritas. I think before I only liked it because it it's joyful. The music is great. I have actually looked up the music uh, and started listening to. Harry Nilsson's Coconut after <laughs> yep. watching this movie the first time. Like, that's been a, a song that I really love ever since I saw this the first time. Uh, but this time, I also really loved that transition when they're sitting around the table, they're drinking. It's clear that this is how it always goes, sitting around the table, having fun, uh, telling each other stories, maybe saying truthful things about each other, but it's always with love. And this time it's not with love. This mm. time it becomes like really toxic and hurtful. Yeah. And it, yeah. I kind of was surprised by how great it was made to surprise me and to catch me. And like, I was part of that whole ride of the confusion of it and feeling the hurt of it. And then, oh, oh he's, still, he's still here. He's still around. Mm. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. great. Yeah, I do also remember that from when I watched it as a child, like I that scene really stuck in my my brain. Like it it is such a fun scene. Uh, in terms of like technical, really good scene, the driving scene. Yeah. When uh when Nicole is 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 driving back. To, I mean when Jillian is driving back to see Sally, and it the fact that she's in real time, but the backgrounds and this ultra time lapse like it's going day night day night it's really well done yeah I it's love almost that. like music video vibes but it, it really worked to sort of portray the passing of time yeah i thought uh, that was beautiful too hmm. yeah most cliche moment mine was um something we talked about on ginger snaps Dan, oh yes which is the redhead party girl oh, she's dangerous she's fiery she's unpredictable yes Whereas her sister, who's a brunette, is the is the glasses wearing geek, who's the straight laced mm-hmm. one that could get married. Mm-hmm. And I particularly wanted to raise this one um, <laughs> with you, with us, um, Lotta, because yes, you are a, a red haired lady yourself. How do you feel about this portrayal? I've never film? understood it because it's like either we're geeks, uh, like band geeks, like in American Pie, ah, yes, yes. or we're yes. this like seductress evil people <laughs> i have never really understood yeah. it actually i like think i think ariel is the like uh is the one that i'm growing up was like oh she's kind oh, she's cool <laughs> yeah she has oh, red hair okay. yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah i think it's it's a bit weird i think mm. yeah it is a it is a trope for sure uh there's not there's a lot of typecasting with uh redheads yes it's the fire, sure. I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess so. Best special effect. Uh, Goran's ghost coming to life. It's it's very bad, but I kind of enjoy it when he comes. Uh, when Angelov like rises from Nicole Kidman's yeah. body, it's just very bad. But I don't think it 
works. Like, I, I feel like that's where I can feel the time has passed since, since this movie was made very clearly because when he's walking around the room there he just looks like a flat surface that they've drained of saturation like that's right 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 kind of it i mean yeah. it's funny so i laughed at it and i kind of liked it yeah yeah it's also <laughs> stupid i like his eyes i do like particularly the way that they shine mm. yeah yeah like the moonlight it's kind of creepy yeah yeah, it's it's kind of creepy. Griffin Dunn says that the look of the ghost was inspired by the daguerreotypes of the dead that were taken by Victorians oh, okay. as a memoriam. Wow. I mean, I like that a lot. I, I collect those. Yeah. I collect old daguerreotypes. Oh, wow. <laughs> really? Yeah, strangers. But not. I haven't found any of those from a person who's dead, but I like the, that old kind of photography. Mm, wow. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing type of photography. Copper plates soaked in silver iodide and exposed to mercury fumes. Yeah. So, yeah, probably not a process you would attempt now. <laughs> there are people who are doing it, and it's fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know um, a singer that I think is great, Alayla Diane. She, she, one of her album covers, I think, is made, made like that. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. Favorite sound effect. I have the toad that's throwing up the, oh, the yes. ring <laughs> because it like the, the the toad just looked like it was sitting there, but the sound effect was of this like th- like really bad throwing up sound. Yeah, didn't yeah. really match at all. But they needed to have that sound to show that he was throwing it up. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, mine is a silly one. It's just the moment when Sally asks her daughter if she can see the kazoo that she's been furiously playing at the breakfast table. And she, when she hands it over to her, she just immediately throws <laughs> yeah. it out of the window. And as she does it, you just hear this little sad kazoo note going oh, down. Oh, just... right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Most funniest moment. When they bring him back to life. Uh, I uh, think it's just so funny yeah. when, like, they have whipped cream uh, <laughs> on his on his chest. They're making like the star, yeah. the pentagram, and then when he wakes up, it's like, "I want you to be my wife. I want you to be my wife." <laughs> and it's almost like Borat level, my wife. Oh, yes. Some yes, parts yes, of it. Yes, yes. yes my wife. My wa- <laughs> I want you to be my wife. It's great. It's great. Um, but it's just like that whole part when they're trying to bring him back is like comedic. Mm. How, they're, how they don't know what to do. They're looking it up at the same time as they're doing it. And she's so scared. It's like, oh, should we poke it through his eye? Like, that's ew. Yeah, and yeah. It just feels like something they're not at all prepared for. And that makes it so much fun that they're trying to revive a person from mm. the yeah. dead. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun scene. My favorite is the the phone tree name drawing session, uh, just because it's so funny when Gillian walks in and all the women start gossiping mm. about her, and she slaps somebody psychically in the oh, face. Yeah, that's right. And then says, "That wasn't me. That wasn't me." <laughs> to Sally, and then finally the the name tree is revealed, and at the top of the tree is Sally for the first time ever, and it's on every page as they're mm. going through. And uh, yeah, at that point, Gillian says, "That was me." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was a very quick fire and very funny, yeah. and all of the women are really funny mm. in that yeah. scene. And I thought I I would love to see how have more of this dynamic going on in yeah. the movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's our movies. Yes.
Hi, this is Tom Woodruff Jr. and you're uh, listening to Movie Oubliette. Final Verdict Time should Practical Magic from 1998 be released from its six feet on the grave and be adored by the masses or should it be pummeled with a cast iron frying pan and thrown back into <laughs> the Oubliette to be forgotten forever? Uh, Lotta, Practical Magic, a big favourite of yours growing up is it still a favorite of yours now i mean it's become more of a favorite it's weird i kind of (laughs) didn't like all of it growing up but now i think i like it more so yes let it be let it free yeah let it ride (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i think it's great i i I really agree with that i think it's it's gotten better over time i don't think i really understood the dynamics as a child watching it or a teenager and and because of the characters as well so a lot of witch movies in the 90s either had children as the main characters and like old cackling witches or the witches were teenagers and it was always a high school setting um whereas this they're they're in their 20s they're, they're past high school they're working it's a it's a very different take on the genre and still sort of redefining it as uh, female empowerment, uh, I think it really holds up. And it does work as just going into it as a rom-com as well. Like, it's just a really good rom-com. And I don't know, the the male characters are two-dimensional, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It's kind of, it kind of makes it better in my... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in my book, it kind of makes it better. It's, that's, let, let's do it like that sometimes, Yeah. Too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a continent. Well, for me, I, I honestly was confused by this. I, did, I wasn't <laughs> sure how, whether it, it worked or not. And I was a bit baffled to begin with because uh, 20 minutes went by and it, it just felt like it was a music video and we hadn't really had a substantive <laughs> conversation between two people. And uh, yeah, the main love interest wasn't introduced for an hour and I didn't understand the mechanics of what the bad guy was doing and why he kept cropping back Mm. up again. And I I didn't understand the tone either, (laughs) what it was going for. (laughs) So uh, it it was kind of lost on me the first time I watched it and and it didn't really improve with the second. So maybe I need to come back to it in sort of 10 years time and maybe it will have mellowed for me. Mm I'm ambivalent, you know, I'm open-minded. You've kind of convinced me of its merits. Certainly it throws up a lot of interesting topics for what appears to be such a slight movie. And there's nothing sort of bad about it. I mean, it's everybody in there is doing a great job. It looks beautiful um, and it's very well performed by an amazing cast. So, yeah, I I don't know. (laughs) On the the off chance it's good, I'll let it go. Well, Fair enough. I mean, I, I feel like we have the majority here, uh, Lotta, so. <laughs> so let's set it free. Great. Let's let it jump off the roof. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to be my it's been great talking to you about this film. Thanks so much for being with us again. Thank you. It was great. It was so fun. How can people follow you and find out what you're doing? Well, I think I'm mostly active on Instagram, and uh, it's just my name, Lotta Lostean. It's L-O-T-T-A-L-O-S-T-E-N. <laughs> it's a hard name. <laughs> I'm on Twitter as well, but that's probably the easiest. Oh, and uh, watch the horror shorts that I did with my husband, David Sandberg, uh, on uh, the YouTube channel Pony Smasher. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 <laughs> 
Yes, they're all amazing, but don't watch them alone at night. Or do. <laughs> <laughs> it is spooky season after all. Yeah, yeah yes, exactly. Uh, any upcoming spooky movies that you can talk about, maybe? Um, nothing that I can talk about. Oh, okay. We have a bunch of stuff <laughs> that is non-talkable yet, but um, yeah. Things to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've se- I've seen your names attached to some projects that have a title yes. and nothing else. Exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. That's about all that. Yeah, we have a a couple of horror movies with Netflix uh, that has been announced. Uh-huh. Blow and mm-hmm. Unsound. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, with the two of you involved, I know they'll both be amazing. So. I'm looking forward to them already. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yes, yes. And if you want to follow us, we are Movie Oubliette everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit. Uh, and you can also email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. Yes, like Rob. We always love to hear from you. And if you want to support the show, head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar, you can nominate and vote on films for us to cover in future episodes and get access to extended portions of the show. And for $5, you get access to our special, exclusive monthly minisodes and extended portions of our interviews with special guests. Yes, yes. Uh, We also have merchandise at Redbubble, uh, anything you could ever want. And uh, please, please watch our video essay on YouTube about the Halloween sequels and why why they didn't quite work as well (laughs) as the original. But, you know, we're open to debate. We are. Always get in touch and tell us what you think. We love to hear from you. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and if you haven't already, give us a rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Uh, it does help us a lot. And uh, share the love as well. Share us around like uh, our new listeners. Yes. <laughs> Okay, Conrad, what are we going to be doing next episode? Well, in our next episode, we are still in the 90s, you'll be pleased to hear, but we are shifting genres from magic to cyberpunk thriller and covering the 1995 sci-fi directed by Catherine Bigelow, Strange Days. Ooh, yes, I haven't seen this movie since my early 20s. So, no. really interested to revisit. Yes, me too. So, Ray Fiennes, Angela Bassett, Juliet Lewis, Tom Sizemore, Vincent D'Onofrio in a film directed by Catherine Bigelow. Hmm. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I, I really do like how a lot of big directors, for some reason, always start off with genre films, like very strange mm. genre films as well. So, yeah. <laughs> All I remember about this one was they were recording people's experience on Sony mini discs. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yes. That future technology. <laughs> Indeed. So can't wait for that. And we will be joined by a special guest for that episode, too. Yes. So many guests, Conrad. So many guests. But none as fine as today's. Doctor, it's been great having you with us again. Thank you. Good seeing you, too. All right. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode. Until next time, happy Halloween. Bye for now. Goodbye. Bye. review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and open up the movie,
Did you or your sister kill James Angelove? Oh yeah, a couple of times. 